What does fall make you think of? Pumpkin spice lattes. Vests. Knee-high boots. (laughs) Uh, Hunting. Okay. (laughs) Archery hunting. Duck hunting. Something super manly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Is this thing on? Putting mud on my face. (laughs) Crawling around in the dirt. Camouflage. (laughs) Hey, I'm not afraid to admit it. Pumpkin spice lattes and camouflage. (laughs) That's what I'm all about. They go hand in hand. Um, What fall makes me think of? What? Cold weather. Cold season. Cold. So, cold weather. Yeah. Yeah. So, if I uh, sound a little rough, it's because I am dealing with the fall cold season I noticed, right now. I noticed last well, night when I crawled into bed and you were snoring pretty bad. Oh, was I? <laughs> it's probably just nothing worse than what I deal with on a daily basis with you. True. So another thing that I fall reminds me of is football. Football. Jeremy and I are Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. We've been to two games. One in Detroit. Ford Field. Yep. That was a great game. Jeremy got some things thrown at him by Lions fans. It's okay. I don't hold it (laughs) against them. Uh, Just a hunk of cheese in a Lions world. (laughs) And then we recently went to Lambeau Field when they played the Vikings, which was amazing. Got to meet up with some uh, college friends of ours that were uh, Vikings fans and up for the game, which was pretty cool. Yeah. So this week... We're going to get into some football. Some fun football stories. Say what? Ready? Yes. Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch, and my husband... Jeremy Rausch. He's back. I didn't hear any bad reviews about the first time he was on, so I brought him back. Yet, I'm assuming those comments just haven't made it through yet. (laughs) Yeah. So, we're just kind of going to get into it today. On September 17th, 1920, representatives from 11 different football clubs packed into Ralph Hayes Automobile Showroom in Canton, Ohio, to discuss the formation of a professional football league. So, before this time, there was professional football, but it was mostly just little city leagues or city teams just spread out across mostly the Midwest and the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And they would just, you know, kind of just put schedules, random schedules together. There was no league. Right. So not even the AFL and the NFL were formed yet? No. Okay. So kind of no rules. Right. Some rules, but not really. (laughs) Not not, not synchronized. Yeah. So Ralph Hay was the owner of the champion team, the Canton Bulldogs, and he envisioned a strong football league like baseball had so that the owners could have more control of the sport and the money that it brought in. It was there that the American Professional Football Association, or the APFA, was proposed. The team representatives... The what? The APFA, American Professional Football Association. Ah. Yes. So, the team representatives unanimously selected Jim Thorpe as the new league's president to lead the organization as its public face. So, do you know much about Jim Thorpe? 
No. Kind of like the 1920s, well, beginning of 1900s. Time out, time out. Okay. Uh, Just so everybody knows, my wife is the uh, football guru. I am her trophy husband. Uh, So she is definitely way more knowledgeable in football than I am, uh, which I am not ashamed to admit. Also, she is the one that's more interested in politics. Um, I still like trucks and hunting, but uh, I concede those two we, uh, passions to her. We mess with gender norms, exactly. I guess, of the Roush household. We're breaking through that glass ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Social norms. <laughs> yeah. So, Jim Thorpe, not just football. Mm-hmm. He was like the original all-around American athlete. He is the first Native American to ever win the United States gold medals in the Olympics. What? In what? Uh, the decathlon and a few others. Yeah. But that was the big one. And then, so then once he was done with uh, the Olympics, he played basically all of the sports, uh, including football, baseball, and basketball. So at this time, he's in his 30s, which people feel like for professional athletes, that's starting to age out. But, Especially back in, back in the 1920s. Yeah. I mean... Or ni- early 1900s. 1920, yeah, 1920s. 1920 is this year. So, yeah. So he's in his 30s. He's starting to age out, but people still regard him as the greatest athlete mm-hmm. of this age. Mm-hmm. So, big deal. So that's why they vote him. He's actually currently a player right now. But they vote him as the president of the association because he has great name recognition. He's a good-looking guy. Uh-huh. And people like him. Yeah. However, the first season of the APFA was pretty messy. There are 14 teams in the league, but the games failed to get much attention from fans or the press. The league required teams to pay a $100 entry fee to be a part of the league, but none of the teams paid the entry fee. <laughs> so they have no budget. So they have no budget. They have no money. Or they have because a budget, even but they though, have no money to back the budget. Yeah, because even though everybody was excited to start this league, nobody uh, paid. They were like, oh, the other guys will pay. I don't have to pay. It'll be fine. And nobody paid. There were also no playoffs at the end of the season. So instead, four months after this was season... Was Jim Thorpe? That was Jim Thorpe as the president, right? He's the president. Yeah, and he was like, yeah, no playoffs. You don't pay me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not putting together playoffs when I'm not getting paid. Right. You don't pay me enough. You don't pay me at all. (laughs) So instead, uh, four months after the season was over, the team representatives all voted on a ballot who they thought should be crowned the champion of the season. Popularity contest. Yes. Those those always go over well. Yes. The uh, Akron Pros were selected as that season's champions. And they received a silver loving cup, which is like a two-handed cup, mm-hmm. donated by a sporting goods company called Brunswick, Bulk, and Colander. And they also got golden fobs in the shape of a football that were inscribed with the words, world champions. Golden fob. Yeah. So golden fob is like, kind of, it's kind of like a charm, I guess, yeah. that you attach to like your pocket watch like attached to a chain and then you attach that to it's whatever. It's like a like an olden day keychain. Yeah, kind of. But yeah, you don't But for pocket watches. Yeah, so you people, know yeah because that was a thing back in the day. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh side side story, can I tell us? Sure. So I uh when I was I think I was in middle school. Might have still been elementary school. 
I uh, tried to create my own family heirloom. Okay. <laughs> tried to get, uh, I bought my dad a pocket watch. Because my dad didn't have a pocket watch, and I had this, like... Because it was in the 1920s. <laughs> right, right. So, I got my dad this pocket watch, thinking, maybe one day he will hand it down back to me. <laughs> so, Dad, if you're listening... <laughs> you better dig out that pocket watch. Yeah, I'm still waiting for that pocket watch. <laughs> I think I'm a man now. Oh, my gosh. Okay, <laughs> To find my spot then again. I could have a then I could have a fob to put on my you pocket watch. You could get a fob or a charm. Yes, I think fob is the manly word for charm. Masculine form. Yeah. So after that season, the league decided that they needed a president with more business experience than Jim Thorpe, and they replaced him with the Columbus Panhandle's owner Joe Carr. In 1922, the APFA renamed itself to the National Football League, or the NFL. Even with a new name, the NFL did not garner much attention. College football games were drawing crowds as big as 100,000 fans, while most NFL games averaged about 5,000. Slowly, professional football was starting to gain more traction in the 30s and 40s, And with that came the formation of other rival professional leagues, including the All-American Football Conference and the Canadian Football League. The Canadian Football League thrived because it was in Canada and actually had kind of a different format than the NFL. So, question. Can we, just for time's sake, when was the TV invented? It's like 19... When people, like, what, started getting TVs in their homes? Oh, yeah. I'm just thinking, like, 100,000 people for college football games. That's pretty amazing. Especially when there's, like, such a low show rate for national or professional football games at the time. I mean, you're talking 5%. Uh, The first... So, 100,000 people would show up to an actual stadium to watch games? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the uh, the first electric television was invented in 1927. What other kind of televisions were there? But okay, mom. I guess they had candle ones, didn't they? Like, well, that was a projector. Yeah, I don't. Anyways, what were you anyways, say? I don't. I mean, I'm sure it was a long time after that before TVs really started becoming household household popular in the household, but. So yeah, so 100,000 fans would show up to college games Mm -hmm. while these professional teams, which still weren't much better than just city leagues. Right. The professional professional teams were still just like local sponsor, like your modern modern day little league. Exactly. But with grown men. With grown men. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But in the 30s and 40s, that started to change. NFL starts to get more attention. Mm -hmm. So then other rival leagues are like, well, we can do this too with our teams. So they make their own leagues. But the NFL, they're first. They stay number one. Kind of monopolized on yeah. the, the so, whole brand of NFL. Exactly. Except for the CFL, Canadian Football League. They were never yeah. able to kick them out. But in America... But they were in Canada, so right, it was... Right, exactly. It doesn't yeah, count. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the NFL remained the dominant... Love you, Canada. <laughs> the NFL remained the dominant professional football league in the United States. In the late 1950s, a group of wealthy businessmen approached officials of the NFL to discuss acquiring expansion franchises. The NFL scoffed at their proposal, so 
What did the businessmen do? They started their own league. You know what that league was called? Professional Football League. (laughs) The American Football League, or Ah. the AFL. Ah. The AFL started playing games in 1960 and had eight franchises. The Dallas Texans, the Houston Oilers, the Boston Patriots, the Buffalo Bills, the New York Titans, Oakland Raiders, Denver Broncos, and the Los Angeles Chargers. What? Yeah. I think we still got pretty much all of those, but the Oilers, right? Yeah. Well, I think the... Yeah. Except for the Oilers. Which, I think the Oilers might have been changed. Might have, like, moved and changed names. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. The AFL negotiated a TV contract with ABC and held a draft separate from the NFL. Hmm. So the AFL also paid a lot better than the NFL. So the AFL and NFL are now starting to compete for players. Mm -hmm. So when former Louisiana State University player Billy Cannon got drafted by both the NFL and the AFL, the NFL's Los Angeles Rams offered Cannon a three-year contract worth $30,000, while the AFL's Houston Oilers offered him a three-year contract Worth $99,000. What? So Cannon obviously went to the AFL's Oilers. That's crazy. Yeah. So as the AFL grew in size and notoriety, more and more college players and NFL veterans chose to leave the NFL for the AFL, and a bidding war for players began. And this caused players' salaries to increase dramatically. Because both, you know, both leagues are... Trying to outbid the other to try to get the best players. In 1966, Tex Schramm, the general manager of the NFL's Dallas Cowboys, met with Lamar Hunt, the owner of the Dallas Texans, to discuss a merger between the two leagues. He basically was like, hey, we're both kind of bleeding ourselves dry here trying to get the better players. If we combine, we we can pay them a lot less. Right. Employment rights. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) Not employee, employer. Employer rights. Right. On June 8th, 1966, the two leagues announced a formal merger that would begin with the champions of the two leagues meeting in a championship game in 1967 that was eventually named Super Bowl I. The AFL and the NFL then held one draft together in 1967 and the merger would finally be complete in 1970 when a common schedule involving all teams would be released. There would be two conferences in the NFL, the NFC and the AFC, What? and the two conferences would then send their championship team to the Super Bowl every year to determine the world champions, just like it is today. And the Canadian League, the CFL, is left in the dust. And we still don't talk to them. (laughs) No, if you want to be a world champion, you got to be in the AFC or the NFC. Yeah. <laughs> you're instantly second place. At le- at in the, the world. At the very best, yeah, 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 yeah if yeah. you're in Canada. Yeah. You have to be in America. Or in any other league. Yeah. I mean, what an American thing to do. In the first year under the new format, the Baltimore Colts beat the Cincinnati Bengals and the Oakland Raiders to become the AFC champions, and they earned the right to play in Super Bowl V against the Dallas Cowboys. Both teams saw Super Bowl V as a way to redeem themselves, 
The Colts were still dealing... What are the Cowboys redeeming? Oh, you're going to go into that. I will tell you. (laughs) Hold your horses. The Colts were still dealing with their embarrassing loss to the New York Jets in Super Bowl III, and the Cowboys were trying to lose their nickname, Next Year's Champions, which I feel like is still (laughs) today their nickname. We damn boys. (laughs) That's kind of the modern... Next year, next year's our year. Next year's our year, boys. We Dem Boys is kind of the modern day next year's champions. <laughs> yeah. So the Cowboys had won more games than any other professional football team in the last five seasons, but they had lost in the playoffs every year and had never won a league title. The Cowboys had chances to go to the first two Super Bowls, but they were beat by the Green Bay Packers. Go Pago. In the playoffs both years in the NFC Championship games. Super Bowl V was held in Miami, Florida on January 17, 1971. It would later be nicknamed as the Blunder Bowl. The Blunder Bowl. There was a total of 11 turnovers, with the Baltimore Colts making seven of them. Wow. With less than two minutes left in the game, the Cowboys and Colts were tied 13-13. to Dallas Cowboys quarterback Craig Morton threw his third interception of the game, and Colts middle linebacker Mike Curtis returned it to the Cowboys' 28-yard line. Two plays later, there were only nine seconds left in the game, so the Colts sent their rookie kicker, Jim O'Brien, out onto the field to attempt a 32-yard field goal. O'Brien made the field goal, giving the Colts a 16-13 lead. You damn boys! (laughs) The Cowboys received the ball again with a few seconds remaining, but... Morton threw another interception to the Colts, so the Colts won their first Super Bowl, though Colts defensive end Bubba Smith refused to wear his Super Bowl ring because of how sloppy they played that day. Yeah. He was was like, it's not even, it's, he's like, that, we don't deserve this. On July 26th, 1972, a year and a half after the Blunder Bowl, Colts owner Carol Rosenblum and Rams owner... Robert Ursay announced that they would be trading teams. So the becomes the Los Angeles Colts? Nope. Both teams just stay exactly where they are. The owners just switch offices. <laughs> the owners move. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So Carol goes from Baltimore to LA and then uh Robert Ursay goes from LA to Baltimore. So they literally just switch offices and teams. The teams stay exactly where they are. After the switch, the Colts went 5-9, and nine, which was their first losing record in 16 years. Ursay traded quarterback Unitas. I don't know if that's how you say it. Unitas. Unitas. Ursay traded quarterback Unitas to the San Diego Chargers. Unitas quarterback. <laughs> you proud of yourself? I am. Always. So he traded the quarterback to the San Diego Chargers, and he fired coach Don McCafferty, who was still very popular with Colts fans. Both the quarterback and the coach were still very popular with Colts fans. And he replaced the coach with John Sandusky. Before the next season... Sandusky? Yes. Before the next season, Ursay then replaced Sandusky... That's for Sandusky, like... I, I'm not into football, but I know Sandusky. But you know, I know that, the name. You know like, the name. I'm not, he's a legend, so <laughs> okay. so that's a that's a hint for the listeners. 
It's not, though, because before the next season, Ursae then replaced Sandusky with oh, Howard Schnellenberger. Man. Different Sandusky, then. I must be thinking of. I know so many Sandusky's. <laughs> you get them mixed up sometimes. Right. So Sandusky's then replaced with Howard Schnellenberger, but Schnellenberger only lasted three games into his second season before Ursae fired him. Schnellenberger's replacement was Joe Thomas. Joe lasted 11 games and then was replaced by Ted Markibroda. Ted Markibroda. Markibroda. Which, for which one? Markibroda? He's the one. So three years, five coaches. Markibroda's the one I should be knocking for. <laughs> so I think anybody could see that there was a lot of turmoil in the management right. of the team. That doesn't right. replacing your coaches that often doesn't make anybody happy. Right. It doesn't make your players happy. It doesn't make your staff happy. It doesn't make your uh coaches fans. happy, your fans happy. Nobody's happy. Well, so if you know that they're that willing to fire a coach Why would you <laughs> want to be hired there? Right. Yeah. Like you're just like, well, I'm going to go into this with super low expectations of being retained. Yeah. So it's called uh, having somebody's back. Right. So Mark Abroda leads the Colts to a winning season, 10-4, and four, and they make it to the playoffs. But the Steelers knock them out early on. Mark Abroda then resigned as head coach <laughs> when Ursay verbally abused his players after their loss in a preseason game to the Detroit Lions. The Colts players then threatened to strike unless Marky Broda returned, so Ursay reinstated Marky Broda two days later. The Colts had two more winning seasons. After that, the Colts started to lose, and Robert Ursay was going on public rants and making questionable ownership decisions, as if he hadn't already been. <laughs> I will say that if you own a football team, you probably don't want to be the biggest critic of that football team. Right? Never owned a football team. But I can't imagine if I'm someday a little league coach, little league football coach, yeah. that I'm just going to berate. Well, I won't because there'll be children. But even at the higher echelons, like the last thing you want to do is berate your players well, and coaches. And he was verbally abusing them after a preseason loss. Like yeah. preseason games don't really mean anything. They're scrimmages. Sure. I've seen a lot of preseason games from a lot of good teams, and they usually don't play their best players because they don't want them getting hurt before regular season starts. Right. So, but also, why would you want to put in the effort? Especially because you don't, back then you were probably more likely to get a concussion with all their old-time leathery helmets. And <laughs> well, this is the 70s. But they had real helmets. I mean, not as they're good old, helmets. <laughs> they're old. But they're not still wearing leather helmets. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot what, <laughs> what decade, decade we were in already. Yeah. We've, we're moving forward fast. <laughs> okay, with their old-timey plastic helmets. <laughs> sure. Right? Can you agree to but, that? But, like, they don't have any concussion protocol right. in place. Yeah, it's a scary well, time to get that's hit new to, hard. That's new, that's new to the it's, it's, second half it's of the 2010 decade. New. Yeah. yeah. Colts fans were getting tired of losing. And dealing with Ursay and attendance figures started to de- started to decrease. Marky Broda was fired in 1979 by Ursay. By Ursay. Son of a gun. And Marky Broda was succeeded by a Mike McCormack. 
When the Colts drafted John Elway with their number one pick in the 1983 NFL draft, do you know who that is? Do you know who Elway is? I know is? him. Okay, now we're him? starting to get into like, I remember John Elway's retirements. Number seven, Denver Broncos. Okay. So you can guess that he didn't stick around. Stick around. Not only did he <laughs> well, not. Well, with Ursay as a manager. Well, so not only did he not stick around, he never went. After he got drafted by the Baltimore Colts, Elway refused to work for Ursay, and he threatened to play baseball instead, since he was also drafted by the New York Yankees that Okay, year. Michael Jordan. <laughs> Playing baseball. But did you know, Russell Wilson is actually... Everybody Everybody thinks they can play baseball, alright? Uh, Michael Jordan. <laughs> uh, John Elway, apparently. Uh, who was the Denver... Manziel? Was it Manziel? No. I'm going to give you <laughs> one more guess. Uh, who was it? I don't I can't think of an name right now. Yeah, Tebow. Oh, <laughs> Tebow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just so you know, she put her her uh, palm, her fist to her forehead and like kneeled, like did a like a nod. I did a Tebow. <laughs> she did a Tebow. As a little hint. Um, yeah, there's actually a lot of football players that play baseball, and Russell Wilson is actually a technically a New York Yankee right now. What? Because he was drafted by the New York Yankees. He said, "I'm gonna go play football." But he shows up to uh, training every year, spring training every year, just as kind of like a uh, <laughs> I, I, you know what? Thing. I, I always told myself I should have stuck with baseball when I got to high school because I wasn't unathletic, but I was like, I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm athletic enough to play baseball. Well, I mean, Russell Wilson's pretty athletic. Yeah, but he also got drafted by the New York Yankees. I would, I'm not saying I could be playing for the New York Yankees. I'm saying I could be a B-leaguer playing for the Boise Hawks. Yeah. You probably could. <laughs> probably could. Maybe even still to this day. There's a, And that's the thing about baseball is that there's a lot of baseball teams right. to join. Double A, triple A. Yeah. And that's also nice is that you usually last a long time. Like You don't get as beat up as these other sports. It depends. Especially football. Depends. Pitchers. Okay, pitchers are different. Yeah. Different breed to be a pitcher. That's true. Which I'm a lefty, so I'd be a pitcher. Uh huh. <laughs> Thanks for humoring me. Okay. So yeah, Elway threatens to play baseball if they're if they make him go to the Colts. Is this a is this a football episode? Yes, this whole thing's football. So we're not gonna talk about baseball. Okay. Ursay then concedes, and he trades Elway to the Denver Broncos for Mark Herman, Chris Hinton, and a draft pick. Colts fans were furious over losing Elway to the Broncos, and their hate for Ursay grew. Mm. They're like, we could have had, we had this fantastic quarterback, and he just gave him away. But, but they didn't know he wasn't. Time. He wasn't going to play for them anyways. Yeah. It didn't matter. He had no choice. Unless he wanted to sell the team. Might as well get a draft pick, right? Right. So, Ursay had also been trying to get Baltimore to either greatly improve the Baltimore Memorial Stadium, where both the Colts and the Orioles played. So, I guess this is kind of a baseball episode, too. There's a lot of baseball in here. Or to get Baltimore to build a new stadium altogether. Plans were developed for both improving the old stadium and building a new stadium. And they let the public vote on it. Well, so, but then Maryland Governor Marvin Mandel put the brakes on the talk of a new stadium. He's like, you're not, we're not building a new stadium. And then Baltimore Comptroller placed an amendment to the fall ballot that prohibited the use of public funds to construct a new sports stadium. Say what? 
The amendment passed. Is this a political episode too? Please, can it be? It's all put together. It's all America. Right. Nothing can be separate. Yep. The amendment passed, and it ended any negotiations between Ursay and public officials to build a new stadium. So, since Baltimore won't use public funds, and he doesn't have the money to build a new stadium... He probably does. He just is too well, greedy. I feel like most of these owners, they do have enough money, but why would you use your own money when yeah. the public will just tax their yeah. people to, to get you to... Get why stadium. take on the debt when somebody else will? Exactly. So... Ugh, the public government <laughs> it's sounding like my dad <laughs> sounding like grant okay since baltimore won't you're gonna redact his last name because he will probably can you bleep it yeah i'll okay. bleep it okay i'll figure out how to bleep it <laughs> okay. since baltimore won't build a new stadium ursa starts calling around to other cities to start talks of relocating the colts it became public knowledge that Ursay had been talking with city officials in Phoenix, Memphis, Los Angeles, and Jacksonville, and that made already angry fans even angrier. So Colts yeah. fans are just like fuming, like nothing's going right for them. They yeah. keep losing games, they keep losing players, they keep losing coaches, yeah. and now they're going to lose their whole team. Yeah. They hate this guy. They can't wait for Ray Lewis. <laughs> so... In order to keep the Colts in Baltimore, Maryland Governor Harry Hughes asked what it would take to keep them, and Ursay gave them a list of $25 million in improvements for the Memorial Stadium. The Maryland State Legislator slashed the list to $23 million. I mean, that's $2 million when you're up this right. much, right? right? Yeah. But they also earmarked most of that money for improvements for the Orioles. The legislature also required that both the Orioles and Colts sign long-term commitments to Baltimore before construction would begin. And both teams refused, so construction never started. Hmm. In 1984, Ursay was approached by Phoenix and Indianapolis to move the Colts to those respective cities. Indianapolis was offering an already built dome stadium and was hoping that the new stadium would attract an NFL team. They're just like, we're going to build a stadium and then we'll find a team. You're not, who who was it that said it? I'm trying to remember. The cornfields. What? If you build it, they will come. Oh, you're talking about the Kevin Costner movie. Okay. What did Kevin Costner say? I'm pretty sure if they build it, they will come. If they build it. Or if we build it, they will, they will come. <laughs> If Indianapolis builds it, they will come. <laughs> was Kevin Costner, is he from Indianapolis? Was he in Indiana? I don't know. It's been <laughs> a long time since I've seen that movie, obviously. And maybe that's just Indiana's state Same. motto. Yeah, if you build it, they will come. If we build it, they will come. It's that's all just, their license plates. Yeah, they just have all of these buildings just hoping people will move into them. You know, Indiana is one of those states that I regretfully forget often, but I really want to go to. I've been to Indianapolis before. I was like 12, but I have been there. From what I remember, it was... Pretty great state. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was there in August, and I just remember... If you remember from any of my other episodes, any time I'm in the Midwest in the summer, I just always complain about how muggy everything it is. How humid. Because here in Idaho, we have a very dry heat, and I don't deal with moisture. And I don't deal with moisture, especially hot moisture well. (laughs) 
So anytime I go to the Midwest or the South during the summer, I'm die. So anyways, uh, what? So we got to go like a spring or a fall time. Fall. Let's go in the fall because we also did New York City and Boston <laughs> in the summer and I was also dying then. And then I spent a summer in Alabama Wait, and I was like, why we, do I go to all these muggy places Can we clarify that you know that New York is not in the Midwest? Yes, I know. I was talking, well, I know that. Yes, it's on the East Coast. I obviously know that. Because you said the Midwest. But I also not. said Alabama. Like, I go to all... Basically, the whole eastern side of the United States. I feel like maybe there's not even... There's maybe just a strip of the United States that's just dry heat. Like the Middle East and eastward? Anyways. (sighs) (laughs) Okay. So, anyways. Indianapolis. They had already built a dome stadium. And they were offering Ursay loans to move his team there. And a training complex. What are they, the cash now? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Ursay, we got a great deal. We'll give you a loan. Super good interest Please rate. Please move here. <laughs> We've had this dome for forever. We should... People are starting to riot because <laughs> literally nobody's staying here. Oh, really? They so, were? No, I was just making that up. Oh. That was just a riff. Obviously not a good one. <laughs> Again, it was leaked that Ursay was talking to other cities about moving the Colts. And this time, the state of Maryland took action. On March 27, 1984, one chamber of the Maryland State Legislature passed a law that would allow the city of Baltimore to seize ownership of the Colts under eminent domain. And the other chamber of legislature was scheduled to vote on the matter a few days later. Ursay hosted a press conference where he just started yelling and screaming. He kept saying, this is my bleeping team bleep 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 just went off and so Mm -hmm. yeah so the next day after the press conference either because of maryland's new law or ursay's press conference phoenix calls ursay and says hey we're out we don't want your team anymore so as soon as he hung up with phoenix ursay calls the mayor of indianapolis who remembers they're really excited for a team so the mayor's name is william hudnut and Ursay just straight up tells Hudnut that Indianapolis is the proud new owner of a football team and they should start the moving process immediately. And I think Hudnut was like, how immediately? And Ursay's like, today. <laughs> Hudnut called send your, send your moving trucks. Hudnut called his friend, John B. Smith, who was the owner of Mayflower Transit. Say what? I've seen their truck around town. And arranged for a fleet of large moving trucks to show up to the Colts offices in Baltimore. Trucks that were scattered all the way from New Jersey to Virginia started showing up at the Colts offices around 10 o'clock that night. And 60 men began to quietly load all 15 trucks with equipment, books, and furniture. The Baltimore Colts marching band heard about the move and quickly scrambled to get all of their instruments and uniforms before they were also loaded into the trucks and shipped off to Indianapolis. Did they get them? They got them. Because the marching band's like, we don't want to go to Indianapolis. You guys, go get your instruments. They're loading everything. So I think they were just like, they literally were just throwing stuff into boxes and grabbing stuff and just putting it in trucks. Didn't care. Didn't matter. There wasn't, just a in it. there wasn't a bolt in it. It wasn't. Exactly. So the trucks then all started driving for Indiana. 
but they each took a different route just in case Maryland State Police tried to stop them from leaving the state. <laughs> Which so they I thought was unnecessary. So they knew. Yeah. We're looking for some green and yellow trucks with a giant flower on the side of them. So when the trucks made it to the Indiana state line, there were Indiana state troopers with lights flashing that escorted them all the way to the Colts' new stadium in downtown Indianapolis. Indiana was... Indiana was so stoked. The state troopers were like, Woo! Come with us! We got you, boys! You made it! Let's go! I might be a Colts fan after this. That's a secondary. They're in... The Colts are now in Indianapolis in one night. In one night. In one night, they're there. So the next morning, every single physical piece of the Colts franchise was in the state of Indiana. The Indianapolis Star that day featured a photo of Ursay and Hudnut with their hands clasped and arms raised above their heads while 20,000 new Indianapolis Colts fans were cheering. The Baltimore Sun newspaper also had a picture, but their picture was of the mayor of Baltimore, William Schaefer, crying on the front page because they lost the Colts. Isn't that sad? sad. Michael Chernoff, an attorney for the Colts, defended Ursay's decision to move the Colts to Indiana overnight, stating, The Maryland legislature not only threw down the gauntlet, but they put a gun to his head, cocked it, and asked, Want to see if it's loaded? (laughs) This I mean, they pretty much did. I that. mean, he's a pretty colorful lawyer, though. Uh, I like it. They forced him to make a decision that day. There was a ton of immediate legal action attempted to force the Colts back to Baltimore, but all efforts failed. Only two weeks after announcing ticket sales for the 1984 season, there were 143,000 requests for Indianapolis Colts season tickets. Like, Indianapolis, I think they kind of deserve the Colts. They are so stoked for a football team. However, the team did not perform any better than they did in Baltimore and only made it into the playoffs once during their first 11 seasons in Indianapolis. What season did they make it to the playoffs? Last. It was the 11th season of 11 seasons. I mean, it wasn't very far. I don't know. Okay. But I just imagine. I mean, like, they played in a couple Super Bowls and then. They, when? You can't. Oh, just a couple Super Bowls. You just played. Well, they played like. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been a while. Let's just say that. Yeah. So, again, because it's Ursay, they went through the firing and hiring of several coaches again because <laughs> nothing's changed, only the city, until they hired. Ted Markabrona back in 1992. He's back, baby. He's back. Why would he keep going, like, keep getting hired by Ursay? He's into S&M. I guess. Slags <laughs> being punished? I don't know. In 1994, the Colts drafted running back Marshall Falk and signed Jim Harbaugh as quarterback. What? Yeah. The Indianapolis Colts won their first postseason game in 1995. Marky Broda retired after the 1995 season, and Robert Ursay died in January 1997. His son, Jim Ursay, stepped up as principal owner and almost immediately started making changes by hiring Bill Pullian as general manager and drafted Tennessee quarterback Peyton Manning with the first overall pick in the 1998 NFL draft. And I have to say, like, as a kid... Because 1998, I was six. I was eight. But I just kind of grew up just loving Peyton Manning. And I still love Peyton Manning. Who doesn't love Peyton Manning? 
He's a lovable dude. He's funny. He's kind of nerdy. I like him. It's like you, but he's funny. Yeah. <laughs> and way more athletic. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like me, but a lot better. <laughs> You're nerdy. Yeah, that's the But he's athletic, and what was the other thing? Funny? You, you made me say it? Sorry. Okay. The Colts have appeared in the playoffs 16 times, have won two conference championships, and won Super Bowl 41 against the Chicago Bears. Uh, the November after the Baltimore Colts became the Indianapolis Colts, Maryland voters repealed the amendment that banned public funds for sports stadiums. They're like, we lost our team. We will build a new stadium. Apparently it works for Indianapolis. Yeah. And both Maryland and Baltimore declared the building of a new public stadium a priority. Art Modell, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, was very vocal about his disappointment in Ursay moving his team to Indianapolis. As soon as Baltimore announced their plans for a new stadium in 1996, Art Modell fired his head coach, Bill Belichick. What? <laughs> can you imagine? Oh my god. Can you imagine firing Bill Belichick Hindsight. and living with that? Hindsight. 2020. So fired I'm him. not a Belichick fan, but I mean, the guy's got... Skill. He knows how to coach a football team. <laughs> yeah. So Art fires Bill, and then the Cleveland Browns then announced that they were relocating to Baltimore. Cleveland was allowed to keep the Browns' name, history, and colors, which, come on, Cleveland, just give it give, up. Give it up. Why do you, you're like, no, we like the name Browns, and we like the colors orange and brown. You can't take that with you. We're keeping that. Really? I feel like I, ha- I can side with them. I can side with Cleveland. I get it. It's history. We've always been named the Browns. We've always been orange yeah. and brown. Yeah. yeah. You could be. This is a new, fresh start. You can. You can pick something cool. Uh, but when you think that is cool, yeah. There's. I mean, okay, Cleveland. You do you. You do you, Cleveland. Yeah. You so do you. I, I have a lot of respect for that. So, so Art agrees to that. Art Modell renames his team the Baltimore Ravens, inspired by the poem by famous Baltimorean Edgar Allan Poe. The Ravens had a losing record for four consecutive seasons until they went all the way to winning Super Bowl XXV against the New York Giants. They won their second Super Bowl against the San Francisco 49ers in 2013. I think that was the blackout game where all the lights went out. But... Yeah, and that's the story of when the in the Baltimore Colts were moved to Indianapolis under the cover of night and became the Indianapolis Colts. My sources for the story were The Birth of the National Football League by Christopher Klein, The NFL-AFL Merger and the Birth of the Super Bowl by Jim Weathersby, Kiss Him Goodbye, an ESPN treasury of failed, forgotten, and departed teams by Dennis Purdy. Which, so I only read this chapter, but I bet that whole book is kind of really depressing. <laughs> you only read what chapter? The chapter about the Baltimore Indian. Colts yeah. leaving Baltimore. Yeah. I think it would be super interesting. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, a Mad, Mad, Mad Super Bowl by Milk... <laughs> A Mad, Mad, Mad Super Bowl by Bill McGrain and Colts Win Blunder Bowl by Larry Schwartz. So, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. 
uh, especially with it being football season. If you would like to support this podcast, there is a Patreon page. So just go to patreon.com and search for America the Bazaar. There are several different tiers. Uh, The main tier, for just $5 a month, you get bonus episodes. So we get two, at least two, bonus episodes every month. Along with, you get an America the Bazaar sticker. You get to join our super secret, uh, elite, super pack America the Bazaar Facebook group, where we get to talk about all things weird American history. Uh, and then all the way up to getting special Christmas gifts from America the Bazaar. What so, level is that? So Can that's, be in that level? that's the uh, Alexandra Hamilton dueling pistols. Tier. Alexandra. Alexander Hamilton dueling pistols level. So go check it out. Uh, please subscribe so you never miss an episode of America the Bazaar. Go check us out on all social media. Tell us where you're listening to the episode. Send us a picture. Tell us if you're at work, not paying attention to your spreadsheets. If you're listening to this in the or TPS car, reports. If you're listening to us in the car on your way to work, don't tell us about it until you're safely stopped in a parking lot somewhere. <laughs> don't send a picture until you're safely parked. So No Snapchatting. Yeah, no Snapchatting. No Facebook Live. <laughs> I think that's it, unless you have anything else to add. That blank face tells me no. Alright, so I hope you enjoyed this episode of America the Bazaar. Until next time, stay weird, America. Mm-hmm.